The Case Files of an English Ghost Hunter Read by Mark Carter Wall Case 1 The Ghost in the Well and the Black Cat Following my mother's passing in January 2018, I received a call from a dear friend who suggested I spend a couple of weeks at the country house of his grandmother, who had also recently passed away. It was a very kind suggestion, one which I immediately took. The thought of leaving London for a few days to bury myself in my work in the beautiful countryside was too good an opportunity to pass up. My friend assured me that even though the house was being cleared to make way for the new owners, I would have ample time to relax and unwind. The house staff would be staying there Monday to Friday, so I would have the luxury of having the place to myself each weekend. With a set of keys having been sent to me, I made my journey to the house on a Saturday evening. My first impression of Khan House was one of extreme aversion. I can see it now as I saw it then, bathed in the moonlight, for I did not arrive till late. It confronted me like that of a spider coming through the overflow pipe in a bath. <laughs> Slow and shocking, it crept into view as my Uber slowly made its way along the heavily wooded track, each turret and column slowly edging its way into my vision. There was something unspeakably loathsome in the setting and shape of this house, something that made me glance with fear at its wide and gaping windows, and glance up again as I crossed the threshold into the dark and dusty hall. The passages of the house, both in number and sinuosity, resembled a maze. They reminded me of the Greek tale of Daedalus, and I half expected to see the figure of the Minotaur suddenly arise from some gloomy corner and pursue me through the labyrinth. Nor were my fears entirely groundless, for I had hardly been in the place two days before the experiences began. Waking on the following Monday morning, with a throat dry from the restless Sunday night sleep, I made my way to a room that had in all probability once been a laundry, but which now was restricted to storing old clocks, statuettes, large mirrors, and the like, but was one of the few rooms that had a sink and a working tap. I had just filled my glass when I was startled at hearing something move behind a large wardrobe towards the far end of the gallery. Thinking it must be some stray animal or maybe a rat, I threaded my way through a sea of packing cases and, standing on tiptoe on an oak table that was in front of the wardrobe, peeped very cautiously over the top. To my profound amazement, I found myself looking into a very deep and thoroughly ancient well, at the bottom of which was a man. I could see him distinctly, owing to a strange kind of light that seemed to emanate from every part of his body. He was draped in a bizarre costume that might have been a kimono or one of those flowery dressing gowns worn by elderly relatives. He was bending over a box, which he was doing his best to conceal under a pile of debris, and it was undoubtedly this noise that had attracted me. Too intent on his work, he was apparently unaware of my close proximity until, satisfied that the box was well hidden, he straightened his back and looked up. 
His face frightened me. Not that it was anything out of the normal, either in feature or complexion, but it was his expression. The look of evil joy that permeated every feature before he saw me, which, when we made eye contact, changed to one of the most diabolical fury. I was at first too transfixed with terror to do more than stare, and it was only when, crouching down, he took a sudden and deliberate spring at the wall and began to climb it like a spider, scurrying up at a frightening pace that I immediately regained possession of my limbs and, turning round, fled for my life. The room seemed to stretch on forever as I fumbled and fell over almost every succession of furniture, every obelisk of clothed antique and boxed cookware appeared to barricade the way. Every yard was a mile, every instant I expected he would clutch me. I reached the door, only just in time, happily for me it was open. I darted out, and as I did so, the outlines of a hand, long, sharp and ill-shapen, shot fruitlessly past me. The next moment I was in the kitchen. The house staff were there. Having just arrived to begin their week's work, I was saved, saved from a fate that would unquestionably have sent me mad. When I related what had happened to Mrs. Cadwell, the head maid, she laughingly informed me that I must have been dreaming, that there was no well, nor was there any man in the house except for the caretaker and the house staff, yet I swear I detect beneath her smiling assurances a faint and scarcely perceptible horror, and she never let me visit that room again alone. But wasn't I dreaming? Was there no well? And had that man just been an hallucination of a tired and hungover brain? Sometimes I answered yes, and in further thoughts I answered no. After this little incident, a subtle change took place in our household as the house was slowly being emptied. The servants became infected with a general spirit of uneasiness, which although only shown, in my presence anyway, by their looks, convinced and alarmed me far more than any fears. Even the most terrible would have done had they been spoken out loud. I was positive that they lived in a daily anticipation of something very dreadful, something that lay concealed in those dark and tortuous corridors or in that grim and ghostly room. My dreams at night were horrible, nor did I soon feel alone in this unease, as I overheard someone remark that no one ever passed the night without awakening with a sudden and inexplicable start. It was a week later when my definite adventure occurred. I use the word definite as I had had several other experiences, but of too brief and uncertain a nature to enable me to draw any precise conclusions. On the night in question, I had gone to bed at my usual time, shortly after ten, and had speedily fallen asleep, as I was in the habit of doing so at that time, but my slumber was by no means normal. I was tortured with a series of disturbing dreams, from which I awoke with a start to hear some clock outside idly strike twelve. Despite the fact that my body was still yearning for sleep, my mind defied it to rest any more. It must have been half-past twelve when I heard, to my intense horror, the cupboard door, which I distinctly recollect locking, slowly, very slowly, open. 
My first impulse was to make a run for the door, but I soon became aware that I was powerless to act. A kind of paralysis, coming on suddenly, held my body as if it was in a vice, whilst my senses, on the other hand, had grown alarmingly acute. In this horrifying condition, I was compelled to listen to the thing, whatever it might be, slowly crossing the floor in the direction of my bed. My horrors overflowed when, with an, an abruptness that was completely unexpected in spite of the dearest apprehension, the thing leapt on the bed, and I discovered it to be an enormous cat. And I can honestly add the adjective black, for the room which a moment before was shrouded in darkness had now become a blaze of light, enabling me to perceive the colour as well as the outline with the most unpleasant clarity. It was not only an intensity of colour, the blackest ebony could not have been blacker, that the cat was abnormal, but in every other respect. Its dimensions were not roughly those of a large bulldog, and its, its, its expression. The eyes and mouth of the beast were shockingly bestial. It was truly satanic. And stalking slowly over my legs, its tail, almost perpendicular and swaying slightly, like the nodding plumes of a horse-drawn hearse. It squatted down between the bedposts opposite, transfixing me with the stare of most incredulous malevolence. I was so fully occupied in watching it and trying to solve the enigma I saw so plainly written in its every gesture that I did not realise I had other visitors, till a sudden uncertain twitching in the light made me look round. I then perceived with a start a fire was burning in the grate. And it was no hallucination. The flames soared aloft, creating a hundred unnatural shapes. The coals burned hollow, and in their crimson and innermost recesses I felt I could read the future. My thoughts were unceremoniously interrupted by the appearance of the man in the well. The thing that had chased me like a demonic spider, whom I was shocked to perceive seated in the chimney corner in the most relaxed attitude possible, nursing a baby. Uncharacteristic, and as hilarity-provoking as this situation might be, these existing circumstances were grim enough to exacerbate my horror and heighten my feeling of utmost dread. Supposing he saw me now, there would be no escape this time. I would be entirely at his mercy. And what would he do? I glanced from him to the cat, and from the cat back again to him. Of these two phantasmal enemies, which was the most to be feared? The slightest movement on my part would inevitably arouse them both, and surely bring about my immediate destruction. I could scarcely breathe. The minutes sped by with the most agonizing slowness. The clock struck one, and neither of my visitors had budged an inch, the man in the flowery dressing gown still nursing the baby, and the black cat still staring at me. As I lay there, completely helpless, I wished with all of my heart that my situation was ended, but what could I do to bring about its conclusion, when all of a sudden, a strange metamorphosis in the man sent a flow of icy blood racing to my heart. He no longer regarded this infant in his hands, indifferently or caringly. He scowled at it, and this scowl deepened, 
the utmost fury spread through his features, transforming them into those of a demon. He stood, gnashed his teeth, stamped on the ground, and lifting up the child, violently threw it head first into the fire. I saw it fall. I heard it burn. The hideous cruelty of this man, the abruptness of his action, proved my undoing. Oblivious to my own actions, I shrieked out. The effect was electrical. Dropping the poker with which he had been holding down the baby, this inhuman monster swung round and saw me. The expression in his face at once became hellish. Absolutely hellish. My only chance of rescue now lay in making the greatest noise possible, and I had commenced to shout for help with what little might I had in me, when at a signal from the man, the enormous black cat crouched and sprang at me. What followed I cannot exactly remember. I have dim recollections of a feeling of a heavy thud, and of someone or something trying to tear away the clothes from my body, after which there came a very complete blank. And when I recovered consciousness, the anxious face of Mrs. Cadwell and two other maids bending over me. The history of the hauntings was subsequently revealed to me by the new owner of the house. It had once been inhabited by a man called Creed Darby, who supposedly had been a sort of wholesale butcher. His elder brother had succumbed to terminal illness, so the family estate passed to the eldest son, a child of two, and Darby, determining to claim the property, invited the widow to stay with him. She did so, and she was a weakly creature, and he got rid of her quite swiftly by putting her to sleep in a damp bed. The children were next to be disposed of, the younger by being burned, as I had horrifically witnessed, and the elder, aged two, by being smothered to death by a black cat. Darby is said to have deliberately made the cat sit upon the infant's mouth as it lay sleeping. But these rapid deaths, as might have been expected, aroused suspicions. The boy's nanny, who had been an unwilling party to the burning of the baby, alerted the police and a warrant for his arrest was issued. As is often the case, however, the officers were a bit too late. When they arrived at the house, Darby had flown. Nor could his whereabouts be discovered for many years, and then that was not until fifty years after the crimes, when his skeleton was found at the bottom of a disused well he had fallen into in one of the back kitchens. Under the skeleton lay an iron box, containing many valuables, rings, etc., which undoubtedly he was striving to hide when death, in some unaccountable form or another, overtook him. And what became of the cat, history does not say. The Ghost in the Well and the Black Cat Written and produced by Mark Carter Wall Adapted from Some Hauntings by Elliot O'Donnell